and welcome to another episode of the Personal Injury Podcast from St. John's Chambers. I'm Louise Asprey. And I'm Lauren Carmel. This is our third podcast on inquests. We've previously explored generally the issues faced by practitioners representing both families and non-family interested persons at inquests. Our last podcast focused on Article 2. And in this podcast, we explore the Galbraith Plus test. Now, Galbraith Plus is a term that you will hear fairly frequently in the coroner's court, but the nature of the test itself is not often subject to scrutiny, and it's rather the case that the term gets thrown about without an in-depth understanding of the test itself. The question really is, what does unsafe mean? Now, at the beginning of this year, in the case of R on the application of Police Officer B50 2023, Lord Justice Stuart Smith provided a comprehensive review of the Galbraith Plus test and the way in which it has developed over time. And I recently relied very heavily on this in the last set of written submissions that I did when I was asking the coroner to exclude certain findings from the jury. Now, the Galbraith Plus test is, in short, a test which allows the coroner to provide a preliminary assessment of the strength of the evidence and to decide, therefore, whether the evidence in respect of a particular finding, where a narrative conclusion is anticipated, or short-form conclusion, is strong enough to allow it to be left to the jury. The reason it's controversial is because it's engaged in a situation where an interested person is often asking that something is kept out of the jury deliberations, And the concern, therefore, is that a coroner is being asked to usurp the role of the jury. Lauren, what do you say or what would you say the most frequent practical application of the Galbraith Plus test actually is? In practical terms, arguments about the Galbraith Plus test arise most frequently in circumstances when a jury is engaged, so that the argument is whether or not the jury should be allowed to deliberate on a particular finding or conclusion, or whether they should be directed not to comment. Uh, And in a prison death, for example, it may be that the prison argues that it would not be safe to leave aspects in respect of the care that the prison provided to the jury. And what you are asking the coroner to do is act as a judicial filter to decide how best in the particular case to elicit the jury's consideration on the central issue or issues. Uh, Those issues being the disputed factual issues at the heart of the case and the core issues which the inquest raised. Uh, And that comes from Judge Justice Keith in the case of the Crown uh, Cash and the County of Northamptonshire Coroner the 2007 High Court case and accepted by the Court of Appeal in P&HM Coroner for the District of Avon, which is a 2009 case at paragraph 28. Um, And to exclude from the jury's consideration those matters which are not a core issue or which it would be unsafe to leave. Uh, That's not to say that the Galbraith Plus test is not relevant for non-jury inquests. So in the event that a jury is not engaged, what you are likely to see is an argument that the coroner cannot herself make particular findings or reach a particular conclusion. So going back to Officer B50, which was the High Court case decided in January of this year, that case arose in the context of a challenge by the claimant, who was an authorised firearms officer in the police, as to whether the conclusion of unlawful killing should have been left to the jury and whether the jury should have returned a conclusion of unlawful killing. 
The deceased had a long and significant history of mental ill health. He was observed walking from his home carrying a small axe at the time of his death. He hadn't threatened anyone, but having attempted to stop the deceased and on the officer's evidence, the deceased having acted in a threatening manner, the officer shot the deceased twice in the back at close range. Now, there were factual disputes in respect of whether or not um, there had been such threatening behaviour uh, and by extension whether or not the conclusion of unlawful killing could be left. Uh, Louise, can you help us with how the Galbraith test developed? Well, this was set out in great detail in the case of Officer B50. Essentially, when considering the need to so exclude a finding or conclusion, the applicable test is derived from the judgment of Lord Lane in Galbraith. Um, And at the time, he was considering the correct test against which to assess a submission of no case to answer in a criminal matter. And there were two schools of thought. The first is that the judge should stop the case if, in his view, it would be unsafe or unsafe or unsatisfactory for the jury to convict. Secondly, he should do so only if there is no evidence on which a jury properly directed could convict. But it was recognised that a balance had to be struck between, on the one hand, a usurpation by the judge of the jury's functions, and on the other hand, the danger of an unjust conviction. So looking at whether conviction was safe or unsatisfactory would require the trial judge to apply his views to the weight of the prosecution evidence and the truthfulness of the witnesses and so on. And this had already been said in the case of Barker to be impermissible. Lord Lane recognised the difficulty in using the word unsafe. A conviction could be unsafe because there is insufficient evidence upon which to convict, or it could be unsafe because in the view of the trial judge, the main prosecution witness just isn't to be believed. Now, used in the latter sense, that was wrong. So the test was elucidated as follows, and the judge should approach a submission of no case to answer, considering two matters – First of all, if there is no evidence that the crime alleged has been committed by the defendant, there's no difficulty and the judge will stop the case. The difficulty arises, this is the second stage or the second element, the difficulty arises where there is some evidence, but it is of a tenuous nature. For example, it's inherently weak or vague or inconsistent with other evidence. Now, if that's the case, where the judge comes to the conclusion that the prosecution evidence taken at its highest is such that a jury properly directed could not properly convict, it is his duty to stop the case. However, where the prosecution evidence is such that its strength or weakness depends on the view to be taken of a witness's reliability or other matters which are generally speaking within the province of the jury, and where on one possible view of the facts there is evidence upon which a jury could properly come to the conclusion that the defendant is guilty, then the trial judge should allow the matter to be tried by the jury. And it was recognised that there are borderline cases which can be safely left to the discretion of the judge. So the application of what is termed the additional gloss to the classic Galbraith test in the coronial court first emerged in the case of H.M. Coroner for Exeter and East Devon, ex parte Palmer, in 2002. And Lord Wolfe considered three scenarios. So first of all, where there's no evidence to support a particular conclusion... Secondly, where there is substantial evidence to support a particular conclusion. And thirdly, where there is some evidence in respect of a particular conclusion. In the first instance, the coroner is not entitled to leave the issue to the jury. In the second instance, where there's substantial evidence, of course, the coroner is required to leave the matter to the jury. 
It's the third instance, a borderline case, where it's necessary for an evaluation of the evidence to be conducted by the coroner. And it remains the case that the coroner should not involve herself in matters which are properly for the jury to consider, such as issues of credibility. However, the coroner is carrying out an evaluation and looking at the evidence before her as a whole while saying to herself, without deciding matters which are the province of the jury, is this a case where it would be safe for the jury to come to a particular conclusion? If she reaches the conclusion that because the evidence is so inherently weak, vague or inconsistent with other evidence, it would not be safe for a jury to come to the verdict, she must withdraw the issue from the jury. It's only in those borderline cases, therefore, where it's actually necessary for the coroner to exercise discretion. Now, Lord Justice Mantle in the same case gave the following guidance. There will either be evidence to support the verdict or there will not. Objectively viewed, the decision will either be right or it will be wrong. It is only in the grey area identified in Galbraith that there is any question of discretion and in this instance that reasonableness or otherwise is likely to arrive. Which doesn't present a particularly clear guidance or particularly clear assistance. So essentially we're left with this question of a borderline case and where there needs to be an additional element or an additional consideration. And it's this additional gloss which has developed over time to the Galbraith Plus test. So can you help us with what happened next, Lauren? The inquisitorial nature of the inquest process renders it appropriate for the coroner to have a greater say as to the conclusion that the jury should consider, at least indirectly, than the judge at an adversarial trial. And it was observed in the 1999 case of the Crown and the Inner South London Coroner ex parte Douglas Williams as follows. If it appears there are circumstances which, in a particular situation, mean in the judgment of the coroner acting reasonably and fairly, it is not in the interest of justice that a particular verdict should be left to the jury, he need not leave that verdict. He, for example, need not leave all possible verdicts just because there is technically evidence to support them. It is sufficient if he leaves those verdicts which realistically reflect the thrust of the evidence as a whole. To leave all possible verdicts could in some situations merely confuse and overburden the jury and if that is the coroner's conclusion, he cannot be criticised if he does not leave a particular verdict. And from the case of the Crown and Bennett and His Majesty's Coroner for Inner South London in 2007, it was accepted that there was a small distinction between the position of a coroner deciding what verdict to leave to the jury and a judge considering whether to stop the case after hearing the prosecution's case. And the following points emerged. Firstly, that the distinction in the above is small. Secondly, whilst the safety line of discussion was rejected in the Galbraith case because it gave rise to the usurpation of the function of the jury, the coroner is entitled to consider if a verdict would be perverse or unsafe so that it should not be left, and this is an evidential consideration. And finally, the coroner should not decide matters in the remit of the jury. In the case of the Crown Secretary of State for Justice and His Majesty's Deputy Coroner for the Eastern District of West Yorkshire, which is a 2012 case, Mr Justice Halden Cave reviewed Galbraith Plus and gave the following formulation, which inquest practitioners will be familiar with. 
And what Mr Justice Halden Cave said was this, when coroners are deciding whether or not to leave a particular verdict to a jury, they should apply a dual test comprising both limbs of schools of thought, as discussed in Galbraith, i.e. coroners should a. ask the classic pure Galbraith question, is there evidence on which a jury properly directed could properly convict? And b. also ask the question, would it be safe for the jury to convict on the evidence before it? And this approach is affirmed in the Chief Coroner's Law Sheet number 2, uh, which is entitled Galbraith Plus. And what the law sheet says is, the two questions for the coroner therefore are, is there enough evidence to leave this conclusion to the jury? And if so, would it be safe on the evidence for the jury to reach this conclusion? And what is noted within law sheet number two is that a failure to ask and answer either of those questions may render the conclusion vulnerable to challenge by way of judicial review, which is what we can see in the B50 case that we've touched on earlier. And the law sheet also goes on to say that the word safe must be given its ordinary English meaning, with the coroner exercising her discretion judicially on a case-by-case basis. And at the Hillsborough inquest, Sir John Goldring said that the Galbraith Plus test is evidential and it reflects the need to provide an extra layer of protection in the context of the inquisitorial nature of the inquest. So, Louise, what was the conclusion in the Officer B50 case? Well, the court considered that it would not have formalised the Galbraith Plus test as it was formalised in the West Yorkshire case. But that Galbraith Plus test had been subsequently endorsed by first instance decisions. And it concluded, we're not convinced that the formulation is wrong, but the devil is in the detail of what may render it unsafe to leave a conclusion to the jury in a case where, without usurping the function of the jury, it appears that there is evidence sufficient to enable a properly directed jury properly to return that conclusion. Importantly, in my view, paragraph 65 went on to say, what is clear is that it's not open to a coroner in a case which passes the classic Galbraith test of evidential sufficiency, to withdraw a conclusion under the guise lack of safety just because they might not agree with a particular outcome, however strongly. So we're left in a position whereby the Chief Coroner's guidance remains that the Galbraith Plus test, that two-stage test, is required and failure to exercise that or failure to consider both of those elements may leave a decision vulnerable to challenge. But what we see is the court itself taking a more pragmatic um, view of that test itself and considering really what that word safety means uh, and whether or not in the context of considering safety the uh, jury's functions have been usurped. Essentially the correct approach in my view remains the Galbraith plus test. What is clear is when you are making a submission that a particular finding or conclusion should not be left to the jury. You need to look at whether or not the evidence, first of all, has addressed that particular issue in any degree of sufficiency, whether it's been aired um, and considered in detail. 
you need to consider what the evidence has indicated. And you need to be very careful about suggesting that the evidence falls one way or the other on the basis of the weight that should be given to that particular element of the evidence as opposed to other evidence. Because as soon as you start relying on the weight of evidence, you run the risk of the coroner saying quite rightly that that's not a question of safety, but a request that the coroner is usurping the function of the jury. So just, again, by way of practical application, um, because, of course, we're not supposed to address the coroner on, on the facts, but that leaves can leave advocates in a, a in a tricky position because it's very difficult to make those sorts of submissions about the application of Galbraith Plus without at least referring to some of the evidence or some of the facts. Um, I usually refer to the case of R. Lynn and the Secretary of State for Transport, a 2006 case uh, in my closing and in that case, it was said that it's right to point out that there is freedom to make submissions on the facts at a public inquiry, but those attending an inquest are entitled to make submissions of law, in particular as to how the deputy coroner should direct the jury, the form of the questionnaire, and as to recommendations pursuant to Rule 43. Such submissions would merely be beating the wind unless they are founded on the facts of the instant inquiry. Um, different coroners will allow different uh, lengths of leniency um, when you are making these submissions, but I find that to be quite a helpful starting point. So that concludes this podcast. Thank you very much for listening to the Personal Injury Pod. Don't forget to subscribe at stjohnschambers.co.uk for the latest updates on all things clinical negligence, personal injury and inquest related.